morning. Good morning and welcome. So glad you're here this morning, whether it be here live in person or on the World Wide Web. Let's stand this morning as we begin our worship service. <laughs>
Again, we would like to welcome you to our services at West Irwin, and those of you that are visiting online, uh, you're welcome also. Uh, looks like we have an increased crowd tonight, uh, or today, this morning. I hope uh, we are beginning to turn that curve and begin to get our attendance back up as, uh, as we should. A couple of uh, updates. Uh, these are both deaths. Uh, Jay Allen, the cousin of Matt Hawes, passed away uh, last Thursday. And also Michael Willis's aunt, uh, Laura Watts, passed away last night. I think uh, uh, his aunt was more like a mother to him, so we need to remember these families in our prayers also. This week, uh, the words of two hymns kept coming back to me. Uh, you know how you get a tune in your your head and uh, you just can't get rid of the words but one of them was uh, this world is not my home you know with all that's going on around us uh, we need to keep that in mind that uh, you know this is not not our permanent residence but the other one was Jesus is coming soon and that begins with the words troublesome times will come filling men's heart with fear seems like uh, we're becoming a fearful nation one that puts its hope and trust in the wrong things, persons, or being. We fear uh, the coronavirus, the weakening economy. We fear the upcoming election. The Republicans fear the Democrats, and the Democrats fear the Republicans. We fear the media. These and uh, many more fearful things can get in the way of our perspective. We'll lose our perspective if we focus on these things and, and become fearful of them. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry. Put God's kingdom first and all your needs will be taken care of. I want to read uh, three verses before we pray. Uh, the first is one of Debbie's favorites and the last is one of mine. Begin with Isaiah 40 verse 31. For those who hope or trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Then Isaiah 41:10. Do not fear, for I am with you. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. And what encouraging words. And then in Romans 8, 37 through 39, Paul wrote these words. In all things, we are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Holy God, uh, we do need thee every hour of every day, for you are the, the author of love. We praise your name and acknowledge your infinite power in, in the universe. Father, you bless us so well with our physical needs, but more importantly, with our spiritual needs. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and for your willingness and plan to allow his blood to be able to wash away our sins and give us an eternal hope home in the place that he has prepared for us. We're thankful to you for the blessing of the West Irwin congregation. Father, for its elders, its deacons, its ministers, and for each member here. 
Today we, we ask for your comforting power for those members who have lost loved ones recently, for the Kingsbury family and the loss of Dennis's father, Earl D., for the Matt Hawes and John Steffi families and the loss of their cousin, Jay Allen, also for the family of David Lovejoy after his recent death. And this morning, Father, we learned of the death of Michael Willis's aunt. We pray that you will be with him and comfort that family. Father, we ask for your healing power to be with Sue Cardi, that the change in her medication will, will prevent her kidney rejection. Also for the mothers of Derek Alvey, Jody Albritton, Kathy Culpepper, and Levi Benitez. Father, we pray for Terry Frick's aunt and for the granddaughter of Jean Rutherford. Also uh, for the sisters of Frida Starr, we know that that family has uh, lost their mother recently, and we pray for their health issues at this time. Father, continue to be with Joyce Allen and Robin Collier and their health issues, and the others that are on our prayer and care list. Father, we ask that you'd be with each one of them. Holy God, we ask for your blessing upon our country. We pray as a nation that we will turn back to you and realize that that uh, what we have in the way of freedoms and prosperity is because of you and the belief in our founding fathers that you are the only true God. We pray that our pres- we pray for our president and that we will always have a leader that believes in the sanctity of life. Father, please bless our children as they go back to school in the next few days in a somewhat different way. Bless their teachers and administrators. Please keep them healthy and safe. Father, uh, we ask that you'd give us the faith of Abraham as he obeyed you and left his comfort zone to go out into an unknown land. Father, give us the confidence Joshua and Caleb had that they knew that with your help that they could take the land that you'd promised them. And give us a willingness that Jesus' disciples had to leave their jobs and security to follow you, to do whatever is necessary to follow you. God, we realize that you are God and that we are not. You are solely in complete control of all things. Help us to remember that and not fret or worry over world or national situations. Please accept our worship this morning as a sweet offering to you. In your son Jesus' holy name I pray, amen.
Good morning. Each Lord's Day, Christians are commanded to remember the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all around the world, there may be Christians who are alone, or maybe some gather in small groups, some in groups a lot larger than this. But they get together to remember Jesus, to partake of the loaf, the cup, and to pray. The death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is the most significant thing that will ever take place in human history. And Jesus went to the cross and he died for my sins and for yours because he loves us that much. And in this day and time, as Jay talked about and prayed about earlier, with all the trouble going on, uh, it's easy to be frightened. But we have that one confidence. We have that, that tremendous confidence that in the end, we stand shielded. In the end, we will end up with God, and there will be no more trouble, no more tears. So with that in mind, let's pray, shall we? <clears throat> Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the, the, the life and the suffering and death of your son, Jesus Christ. But with that in mind, Father, we're also truly sorry. Uh, we know that it was uh, our sins that made it necessary for your son to go to that cross. And we thank you so much for his love, Father, for his dedication. And we thank you so much, Father, for your love. Uh, you allowed such a horrible thing to take place to your only begotten Son so that we could have our sins forgiven and be with you someday. As we partake of this bread, which represents the body of Jesus Christ, may we do so, Father, humbly, but with a happy heart. And may we do so in a manner that you find acceptable and well-pleasing. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we approach this, uh, your throne, and as we partake of uh, this fruit of the vine, which represents your son's blood, help us to remember that it's only because your son shed his blood that we have the hope of eternal life and that our souls are washed whiter than snow in your sight. Help us again, Father, to be mindful that it was our sins that caused your son to shed his precious blood. And as we partake, may we do so in a manner that you find acceptable and well-pleasing. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, the elders set aside this time every Sunday uh, to where we give back. And of course, right now with the virus, we don't have the men walking up and down the aisles, but we do have uh, some containers in the foyer, and you can go online, you can mail in your check, 
but it's important that we give. And as we give, let us do so with a, a happy heart. And uh, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father in heaven, again, we come before you. And Father, we thank you so much for uh, all the ways that you bless us, Father. We thank you for uh, the, the, the fact that we're able to go and to contribute to society in whatever way possible. Uh, we thank you so much, Father, for the fact that we're alive. We thank you for our homes and our families. We thank you for the fact that we live in the United States. And we thank you especially for the spiritual blessings that we have through your son, Jesus. And as we give back to you a portion that you have blessed us with, may we do so happily and thankfully. And finally, Father, again, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Stand with me, please, and the uh, last program is can be dismissed at this time. Let's see.
As we have just sung, he leadeth me. He does lead us, and, and we do need the Lord. Uh, as we sang earlier as well, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. But we don't just need the Lord as Savior. We need him as guide. And so when we say and sing that he leadeth me, that is absolutely true. But whether or not we follow him is up to us. And so we've come to the point in, the, in our series of sermons taken from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, to the Lord as not Savior, but guide. If we are going to ask God to be our Savior, we must allow him to be our guide. And that's not a popular statement in our culture today. Everyone wants Jesus to be the Savior. Everyone wants to talk about those wonderful passages of Scripture that give us assurance of forgiveness and salvation, and rightly so. But what Scripture is clear about is this. If we are going to ask God to be our Savior, we must allow him to be our guide. And so these words from Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, lead us not into temptation. I really thought about having the next statement as a part of this sermon as well. Lead us not into temptation, but what? Deliver us from evil or the evil one. But I decided to split those two up because we have assurance of that deliverance. That is true. We have assurance of that salvation. We, but we also have a call. We have a call to allow Jesus and his word to be our guide. Lead us not into temptation. And the statement there is, can mean temptation. It can mean also trials, uh, difficulties, persecution, anything that could cause us to commit sin. That seems to be the idea in Jesus' prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into those things that will cause us to be taken away from you by our actions. And so today we speak about Jesus as guide. We speak about Jesus as Lord and Master. And we have spoken in this prayer, as you know, about Jesus as Savior, which he is. And we're so very thankful, just as Bill led us around the Lord's table without that sacrifice of his broken body and his shed blood. We could never be good enough. Just as we sang earlier, nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Because there's nothing I can do enough or bad things not to do enough to take away the guilt that I have because of my sin. So thankfully, there is that blood that was shed for us. There is that body of Christ broken on the cross. Jesus is our Savior. 
But he wants to be more than that. He wants to be our guide. He wants us to follow him when he leadeth us. And so a few things this morning about Jesus as our guide, about God as our guide, about the word of God that guides our lives. First of all, temptation is not sin, but it is real. (laughs) Temptation is not sin, but it is real. There is a difference between temptation and sin, and I think it's important that we remember that. There is a difference between temptation and sin, between something that could cause us to commit sin and actually committing the sin. Either by action, such as commission, or inaction, omission, as we'll speak about in just a little bit. It's one thing to be tempted, it's quite another thing to sin and to give in to that temptation. And I fear that for many of us and many in our culture, we don't get that distinction. We don't, we don't see that difference. And there is a huge difference there between temptation and sin. Temptation is not sin, but it is very, very real. And we're not all tempted in the same way. And we're not all tempted to do or not do the same things, to do the bad things that are condemned or to not do the good things that are commanded. And so we have to remind ourselves that um, to be considerate of one another, first of all, and recognize that difference, that we're not all tempted in the same ways, but to also recognize that we are all tempted. And that sin is sin whether I'm tempted or not. And it seems that in our culture today, if someone is tempted, then it's no longer sinful to give in to that temptation. That if you want to do something, that it's okay to go ahead and do it. And that, it sounds strange saying it out loud, doesn't it? And yet, for many, that's basically how they live. For example, stealing. Not everyone is tempted to steal. Whether you're in good times or bad times financially, you may not be tempted to steal at all, but some are. And so the fact that someone might be tempted to steal doesn't make it okay for them to steal simply because they're tempted to do that. Some are tempted to gossip, some aren't. Some would never say something bad about someone else rather than talking to them directly because they know that that is sin. As great a sin as any in Scripture, in fact, one that's condemned quite often in Scripture. And some would say, look, I would, I would never, I would never talk bad about someone behind their back. And others may struggle with that temptation in a great way. It doesn't make it okay for them to gossip or slander simply because they struggle with that. It's still sin. For some, they may be tempted to lie. For others, they may be tempted to be unfaithful to their spouse and commit adultery. Others would say, I I could never tell a lie. I would never do that. Satan is the father of lies, Jesus says. 
Or I would never commit adultery. I would never be unfaithful to my spouse. I can't imagine anybody that could do that. Well, some people are tempted to do that. It doesn't make it okay for them if they do. It's still sin. It's just that it's a sin that they struggle harder with than others might. doesn't make it okay for them to commit adultery simply because they're tempted to and someone else may not be. And as absurd as that sounds, that is, that is how many have regarded temptation and sin. And we see it no clearer in our culture and in our society today than in the question of homosexuality. Homosexuality is a sin. And you may say, I could never do that. I'm abhorred by that. It makes me sick to my stomach to even think about that. And, and that's good. But not everybody feels that way about it. And some are tempted to be in a same-sex physical relationship. And the fact that they're tempted doesn't make it okay for them to give in to the temptation. Any more that it makes it okay for someone who has trouble telling the truth to lie. It's simply an acknowledgement that temptation is not sin, but it is real. And the fact that we're tempted to do something doesn't make it okay. What it does is it, it, it helps us to realize the target that Satan has to try to destroy our lives. It's that, whatever that thing is, that we're especially tempted with. And we can't look to God and say, look, that's just how you made me. It's, it's just the way I'm wired. I have trouble telling the truth. I have trouble being faithful to just one wife or just one husband. I have trouble controlling my tongue. It's just the way I am. I struggle against same-sex attraction. It's just how I'm wired. It's what makes me happy. None of those things change what the word of God says. None of those things changes that God calls those things sin. All they acknowledge is that I may be tempted in one of those areas or more, more, so, more so than others. Temptation is not sin, but it is real. And so we talk about free will. He leadeth me, he leadeth me. But whether I followeth or not is up to me. Because God has granted us free will. We get to choose to let him be our guide or not. We get to choose to follow his leading out of temptation or not. God has provided us the opportunity to accept him or reject him, to obey his will and his word or to disobey. And we see that no clearer than in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because the Son of God himself was here preaching and proclaiming the word of God and calling on people to repent, and, and he didn't make them do that. He left it up to them, and he leaves it up to us. For us to have free will, for that to be true, we must live in an environment that gives us the option and the opportunity to be faithful or to sin, to obey or disobey. And that's why there, there's bad stuff in this world. That's why, as uh, we mentioned the song a little bit earlier, this world is not my home, and troublesome times are 
here. Why are troublesome times here? Well, because that's the world that we live in. And some of those troubles I bring on myself, some of those troubles someone else causes me to have, some of those troubles are just a part of living in a world that gives people the opportunity to obey or disobey, to be righteous or to be sinful. And so I want us to look at that great passage of Scripture in James chapter 1, where James, the half-brother of the Lord, kind of defines this whole process. And in doing so, he reminds us that all good things come from God, that God does not want us to sin. And so he's not behind the temptation, but he does allow some of that to go on. So we'll read in James 1, beginning in verse 13. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire or lust and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so we see how that, if if you were writing it down and charting it arrow to arrow then it would start with temptation. It would start with those desires that we have that are against the will of God. And again, they're different for all of us. We don't have the same ones of those. But that fact in itself doesn't justify any of them. And so we start with our temptation, that evil desire or lust, and then, then we have that opportunity in this world to commit that sin. And so when we are overcome by our own evil desire, by our own lust, then we're dragged away into sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's where sin ends. It doesn't end with a nice feeling I have when I do something that I wanted to do, even though I knew it was wrong. It doesn't end with the nice feeling that I have when I don't do something that I know God is calling me to do because I just just don't want to do that. It ends with death, separation from God. Because just as we have sung today and just as we have gathered around the table to remind each other of, it, it is only through Christ that we have salvation. A great acknowledgement that temptation is not sin, but it is real, is in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. In Matthew 4 and Luke 4, he is tempted. As Luke records, when Satan is done with him and Jesus has overcome through the word of God, it says that Satan left him until an opportune time. Satan, that's not the only time that Jesus was tempted. He was tempted throughout his life. Certainly tempted on the cross when they were challenging him, hey, Mr. Big Shot, come down from that cross right now and we'll believe you. Which was actually the same temptation that Satan hit him with in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. To make a big deal, to make a big show, to jump off the highest point of the temple or make everyone worship you. You could do that. And he could have. And he could have been Lord and he could have been Son of God had he done that, but he could not have been Savior. And so he refused. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus was created just like we are. He suffered physically and emotionally and and he was tempted in every way just like we are, yet he never sinned. Temptation is not sin, but it is real. 
And so we pray, we pray to God, lead us not into temptation. Secondly, today, all have sinned by either commission or omission. Don't you hate those words? They're a preacher's delight because they kind of sound alike. All have sinned, either by commission or omission. These are the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. The sins of commission are when we do something that God has said thou shalt not. The sins of omission, leaving something good out of our lives that God has commanded, those are the thou shalts. And we see them early on. We see them even in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt, such as keep the name of the Lord sacred, such as keep the Sabbath holy, such as honor your father and your mother. Thou shalt not, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false testimony. We see it in Galatians chapter 5 with Paul contrasting the fruit of the spirit with the works of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. In 1 John 1, John reminds us that if, if we say we haven't sinned, then we're lying and we're calling God a liar. He sent his son to save us through his blood, to cleanse us from all of our sins. But we sin, and that's why he had to come. We see that clearly in the first three chapters of Romans, especially chapter 3, as Paul quotes from Isaiah and other places, saying that there is no one who is righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short, but because of that, all are open to the coming and the blessing of Jesus Christ if we will let him be our guide. Not perfectly, but if we will get on the path he's calling us to be on through the response of faith and the new life. All have sinned. And so thirdly today, we are capable of rejecting temptation. We just don't. We just don't. I don't know if you actually even believe that. I would love to chat with you about it if you want to challenge that statement. But I do believe that we are capable of rejecting temptation. We just don't. We just don't. Why would you say that, Bill? Well, I believe that I would say that because of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And you've heard me say this before about this verse. If this isn't one that you have highlighted or marked or memorized or written up somewhere, I think you should. Because it is a powerful, powerful promise. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The way of escape. What does that verse tell us? Well, it tells us that God's not picking on you. With apologies to Brother Job, (laughs) who could make the best case of that, God does not pick on anyone. There's no temptation that God has allowed you to experience that is not common to humanity. God doesn't tempt anyone, but he does have control over the tempter. God is still sovereign, and that's what Job learned. In a very difficult lesson. All the temptations that 
that we see around us and that challenge us are common to all of humanity. And God is faithful. And that's a part of that promise. In the midst of those temptations, in the midst of this very difficult world, God is faithful. And so because of that, he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. Sometimes I think God has a little bit more optimistic attitude about what I can bear than what he thinks. We have that discussion pretty regularly. But it's God who knows us better than we know ourselves. And so he has promised us, he has promised us that Satan has his limits. That God is still in control and that he will never, never allow Satan to hit you with a temptation that is impossible for you to overcome. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide the way out. He will provide the way of escape. And it may look different in one situation than in others, but it will always be there. There will always be the option of being faithful, of saying yes to those good things that God has commanded and of saying no to those evil things that he forbids. This is the promise of God. In answer to this part of the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is the answer to that. Okay, I'm not going to lead you into temptation. I'm not going to allow you to be tempted with more than you can bear. And so it doesn't say that we will never be tempted. That's not what Jesus calls on us to pray. But he calls on us to pray that God would continue to lead us. And that as he leads us, he will remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He will remember our humanness and our weakness. He will remember how hard and how much Satan wants to destroy us and destroy our relationship with God. And whatever will test that, Satan will throw at us. But God is faithful. And so next week we'll speak of God as protector. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. It's an acknowledgement that we will be tempted, but it's also an acknowledgement that God can deliver. And he will. Finally today, because we sin, God gave us a savior. Because we sinned, God gave us a Savior. I love the way 1 John 1 and 2 work together. It's just amazing to read them. Because in 1 John chapter 1, it says, hey, we're, we're all sinners. We've all sinned. We can confess our sins. We can confess that we're sinners. We can have the blood of Jesus continually cleansing us from our sins. But if anyone says they haven't sinned, then they're lying. And we all know it. <laughs> and God knows it. And then you get to chapter 2, and John the apostle whom Jesus loved says, I'm telling you these things so that you will not sin, but if anyone does, if anyone does, we have a Savior. Paul says the same thing in Romans 3. David understood it in Psalm 32. The prophet understood it in Isaiah 1. And so when we end this series, we will end with those words, deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the authority, the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Just as Jay led us in our shepherd's prayer time, ultimately it is God who is in control. And we will celebrate that at the end of this series. Whether or not we allow God to be our guide then is up to us. It's up to us. This amazing verse in James chapter 4, the one that says, remember, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. James reminds us that that's how we live if we're going to allow God to be our guide. Whether or not this part of Jesus' prayer is granted, for the most part, is up to us. If we will allow him to lead us not into temptation, he will, but he'll not force it. What we mean by if the Lord's will, what we mean by he leadeth me, as this part of the prayer indicates, is that what we were, are really saying is that where he leads, I'll follow. I'll follow him every day. I'll follow him all the way. If we can help you do that this morning, come as we stand and sing our song together. Sweet are the promises, kind is the word, dear be something if uh, if God came back and said, oh, by the way, you have to wear a mask every day. And then he said, uh, when the woman at the well, he said, uh, go and uh, always wear a mask because it would be a sin. That'd be just terrible is what I'm thinking. But You know, God's not going to put us past what we can bear, so while we have the mask, we shall do that. I want to share a a few thoughts with you today. For the last 32 years, God has blessed us with the opportunity for Lisa and I to pour our lives into the West Irwin Church. We've had the opportunity to grow and grow. We came here with a baby on the way, a love for Jesus, a story to tell, a passion for ministering to teenagers and the church. 
And so we committed to do our best to minister to and bless this church and community and raise our family here. And God opened so many doors and said, let me show you what I can do. We've taught your kids. We've taken them all over the country and even Mexico. Painted houses and churches and mowed yards. We've traveled for what seemed like days. Climbed mountains, rafted rivers, carried others' backpacks, nursed wounds, and stood on tops of mountain peaks and looked into other states. We've spent hundreds of days with hundreds of kids in Nebraska, Mexico, and New Orleans on mission trips, just planting seeds, painting and roofing church buildings, cleaning up city parks, sharing the message of Jesus with kids from all walks of life. We've served side by side, helping people both rich and poor when their homes were destroyed by tornadoes and hurricanes. We've built houses together, counseled with families, carried incredible secrets, shared your tears and laughed until we hurt. We've loved on your babies, we've prayed with you in the hospital, we've buried your loved ones, and we married your children. We've learned together, and in many ways, grown up together. We've served alongside of 19 full and part-time ministers and a slew of interns over these 32 years, many of which I still keep in contact. In our ministry, God has opened door after door. We've always believed that God would provide and show us the way. We've had countless opportunities to go and minister in other places, but we asked God for clear signs, and he always made it clear that our place was to stay in Tyler. Sometime around eight to ten years ago, God began nudging us to move out of youth ministry. The eldership said, we don't know what the future will look like, but we want you to be a part of it. That took some time and shaping to be ready, and I always knew that transition would be very hard for us, and especially me. We sought counsel to do it right. God challenged and pushed us, reshaping me, showing us to hang in there that he wasn't through with us yet, and so we began the transition. God pushed and shaped us through all of that. God showed me that a hobby that turned into an unplanned business was not about me, but was about him. He opened doors and said, look at all these people that you can minister to in the name of Jesus, people that I would have never crossed paths with. God opened doors to work with families and couples that he brought out of the woodwork just to help them through tough times, to prepare for marriage, to improve their relationships, and all to his glory. I've been challenged and pushed to grow, to retool, to figure out a way to be effective in a different kind of ministry in truly different times. He has shown me who I am and what makes me tick, preparing me to be effective in his ministry. And I am learning that I know less than I thought, how to ask questions, how to listen better, how to challenge others to grow, that there's more than one way to skin a cat. I have learned that a $100 bill is worth a lot to some, very little to others, and much less to God. Feelings are real, and they matter, that my agenda is not necessarily his agenda, and that he will let you fail, and that he is faithful. He has shown me that shaping me on the anvil is a process, not an event, and that his purposes will be done. As a sophomore engineering student at A&M, on a pleasant March afternoon in 1984, Kenneth Cudd, a dear family friend and elder at my home church, called me and said, we want you to work with our teens this summer as their youth minister. I already had a job, but God said, hey, 
look through this door and follow me. And so my journey in ministry began. God opened door after door, opportunity after opportunity, a journey that I never envisioned, nor one I have any regrets. But there comes a time to go. Not a time to quit, but a time to go where God clearly opens doors. It is with a very heavy heart that I feel compelled to resign my role as a minister of the West Irwin Church. This is by far the most difficult decision we've ever had to make, and it is a decision that God, Lisa, and I have made. You, West Irwin, are our family, and we love you. It is our hope to continue to love this church family and be involved in some level. But for the sake of a successful transition and just being church members, it's going to take a year to find our place. While we may not know what the future will look like, we absolutely believe that God is in control and he is faithful and it's going to be okay. On behalf of the West Irwin Church, we want to thank Danny Snell. We want to thank Lisa, Shannon, Jordan, and Bubba. And for what all y'all have done and mean to this church. And You can't sum it up in a five-minute speech, and we all know that. We all have our memories of Danny, of what he's done for us, our family, uh, through hard times, through good. He's always been there to give counsel, to seek and save the lost and to preach God's word. Uh, we love Danny. We can't say enough about him. And uh, I don't know how he stood us for 32 years, and uh, we hope you can stand us another 32 as a member. I'm sure we'll find uh, a little work for you to do. Uh, but thank you. Uh, let us have a closing prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time we've had to come and worship you together and to be together as a church family and, and that we know that you're in our presence. We thank you so much for Bill's lesson this morning and for what he means to us. And, and Lord, we ask that you be with us this week and help us to allow you to guide us in our everyday lives. Help us to resist temptation and Help us to serve others and look in other places to seek and save the lost. We ask that you be with this church family and keep us safe, happy, and healthy. We ask a special blessing this morning on the Snell family and for Danny's decision uh, to resign as a minister. We know that you have definitely guided him throughout his life and that you will continue to do that and that he will continue to listen. We pray for his decision and that you will bless that family spiritually, monetarily, and emotionally, Lord. We know there's some unseen roads ahead for them, and we know that you'll guide them down that path. We thank you so much for what Danny means to us and for blessing him with the talents that he has to bless us. He is a spiritual man, a godly man, and has a godly family. And in turn, that has turned many of us to be godly people as well. He's uh, blessed us as adults, as our children, 
He's blessed the lost and has done many things to serve without asking for reward. We know that reward will come. Uh, and he has certainly rewarded us, Lord. Be with him, bless him, bless his family, and help us to in turn bless him. Thank you so much for Jesus. We love him and you have blessed us so much, so much by his life, for his death, burial, and resurrection. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.